Well, folks, happy Friday. We have a very special segment. I'm always excited when I talk to these two very intelligent guys here. Uh, we're finishing up a great business conference that we had this week. That's why we're casual. We talked about it last night. We're like, yeah, let's leave the suits aside. Um, but I have Paul Meeks, ladies and gentlemen, and Peter Nielsen with Independent Solutions. Now, I'm blessed and happy to have them handle my clients' money, and they're very unique. They have their own way of doing things, and collectively, they have about 200 years of experience. I thought today would be great for them to talk about the economy, the stock market. I know, guys, you don't have a crystal ball, that old saying, right? But, you know, I think this is very important and timely because if you look at the TV talking heads out there, the world's coming to an end. <laughs> so some of the takeaways when you all had your roundtable was, and I want you to talk about it and address them, number one, the economy is not as bad as, as they're saying, right? Paul, what do you think? I mean, No, I, I agree. You know, obviously, as interest rates rise, you know, there is some threat that uh, that'll filter through, uh, not immediately, but with a lag effect, and it'll start to slow down the economy. But as of now, uh, if you were to ask me, I would say yes, we'll absorb that, and we okay. will not go into a recession, at least in the night, next year or so. Right. They're throwing recession around like like candy. Well, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I have that gut feeling. Yeah. And, and, and Peter, you uh, before we get going, I want to... These guys have more acronyms and letters attached to their names. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys should be 85 years old with all your experience. I'm looking at this. So Paul loves rock and roll, by the way, folks. He's a Bruce Springsteen fan, ACDC. Yep. Big Springsteen uh, fan, yeah. Yes. And uh, 32 years in the business, he ran the largest technology fund for... Can I say Merrill Lynch? Yeah. Okay. So he was he ran it for Merrill Lynch. You can catch him on CNBC. Hey, by the way, I got quoted on CNBC, so I'm part of the the yes. family now. I don't know. Uh, and Paul, even though he's known for tech, he has other portfolios, and of course, him and Peter go way back. But Paul is a, a college professor. He's an adjunct finance and accounting faculty member. I got to hold my breath when I read all all your your things here. He teaches at the College of Charleston, the Citadel, in Charleston, South Carolina, where they have good golf courses, right? They do. I don't play much, but uh, that's my (laughs) understanding. So he does live there. He joined Independent Solutions uh, four years ago, I would say. Yeah. And uh, he's a chartered financial analyst. He has a dividend model because, Paul, what was it, around Thanksgiving of last year that you were kind of like, well, I don't like the way things are going. And you shifted some of the money uh, into that portfolio. Now, Peter, who's a good friend of yours as well, and uh, he's he's got 30 years experience. He's also a chartered financial analyst. You two have a momentum portfolio that you do. And and Peter, you really study the markets. Uh, That's one of your fortes and niches, right? You 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 pull out your crystal ball and you you look at the financial Uh. status and. You have your master's of business uh, administration degree from Simon Fraser University. Again, I think I could keep my fans another 10 minutes to talk about all of your experiences. But I want to get right to it. So the first thing is, yes, how is the economy doing right now? Okay. Well, well like Paul said, uh, things are not as glum as maybe some would say, or, or maybe even as the market may portend, right? So okay. typically, markets do terrible in front of recessions. 
But the market, what's the old saying? The market has predicted 12 of the last eight recessions or something. Mm. So, so the market can be rocky and uh, with no economic underpinning. So uh, one of the things I do object to is some <laughs> of the economic forecasts we see. So I think it was Fannie Mae came out and predicted a recession for, uh, what was it, 2023. Okay. So the economy is going to decline by 0.1%. 0.1%? The, the misses, <laughs> the, the economists have been so wrong that the, the, the forecast, like, I'm not trying to be, you know, demeaning to anybody, but honestly, the love of precision that implies doesn't exist. Mm. You know, we will not know uh, what 2023 looks like for a long time. Number one, this this economic cycle isn't like a traditional economic cycle. We've gone through government-mandated lockdowns that yeah. has uh, stifled the economy, and now we're coming out of it. And obviously, there is a big mismatch between the growth and demand and, the, and, and what the supply chain can supply uh, to meet that demand. Partly because of COVID in Europe, uh, um, China, and so forth. So, so there's we've been stoking inflation as a consequence, uh, and, and the Fed is trying to respond by tightening financial conditions. It will reduce demand to some degree. Like mortgage rates are now five percent. Yeah, that's year, right. There were roughly mm-hmm. three. Right. So, so we should see demand drop down, but nobody is forecasting a recession. Well. In our shop, nobody's forecasting a recession. Independent solutions. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So it sounds like these economists are like weather people. They, <laughs> they keep their job by being wrong. And I don't understand. Is it, I mean, you've got to be pretty bold to make those kind of predictions yeah. without the data to back it up. Are no. they just, is it, is it a gut feeling that they have? Uh, well, everybody's got their econometric models and, okay. and, and stuff. Uh, but the problem is, is, is this is not your standard economic cycle. Right, right. But I, I the, like economists have been so wrong throughout the cycle. Like the, 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 the what epitomizes better than anything is mm-hmm. the monthly jobs report. The monthly jobs report, uh, except for this last one, uh, the last six or eight or so, uh, the economy's produced way more jobs than anybody's forecast. You know, where are these where are these people coming from? <laughs> well, it's really weird because unemployment is, what, 3.6% somewhere yeah, on there? Yeah. But you go to a restaurant or anywhere, and, and they have signs. I'm sorry. Uh, please be patient. We can't find people that want to work. Right. Yeah. So, Paul, you think with the COVID and everything, they just retired early. They said, you know what? Screw it. Let me just take my money, and I'm done. You think that's part of the reason that it's hard to find I mean, my a uh, Walmart is paying. I think you said that Walmart is paying truck drivers one hundred ten thousand dollars a year. So if you have an MBA and you're a junior partner at a firm, you don't start off at one hundred ten thousand a year. No. But at the same time, like I say, you go to a retail store, restaurants, and people they have a shortage of it. Yeah. And I, I thought the opposite. I thought, well, low unemployment means. Uh, there's not many people working or, you know. So do you think that's going to continue, this this labor weirdness that we're having? Yeah, so in the question you said part, I do think it is a part of it. And so uh, I do think it's a permanent part, right? You have some people call it the great uh, resignation 
But yes, there's some dissatisfaction. Of course, we uh, really muddied the waters uh, during COVID, right? We went to a uh, society where it's all remote work, school and play. And so, yes, I think uh, as Peter talked, we'll have some kind of comeback. Maybe it'll be halfway back, maybe be some portion thereof. But yes, I think some of it is uh, permanent, the new reality, and some of it's transitory, but it's a mix. And and they're trying to increase wages, which is not going to be great for small mid mid mm. you know mid businesses to to well, you see stay afloat. Companies like uh, Starbucks right now, Starbucks is having a flood of uh, baristas that want to unionize. And Starbucks was a company until a year or so ago that was known to be you know really pro employee. Okay. And then you have the same thing at Amazon, an absolute rebellion to uh, unionize some of their. Uh, warehouses and distribution sites. And so, yeah, there are some things going on that are quite unique. The biggest thing is this ugly head called inflation, huh? Isn't it funny how I I think you joked about it because people think presidents set policy and they affect markets when it's really Chairman Powell. And he was playing it off saying, ah, this is transitory, right? And when did he change his mind? After he got elected? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait, I'm only kidding. It's 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 not transitory. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at, some people are saying it's seven, eight percent. I mean, where do you think real inflation is? So inflation is probably the most personal number y- you will find. So there, there's the national inflation rate, which mm-hmm. is eight and a half percent. Okay. But if you look, if you go to the, uh, I think it's Bureau of Labor Statistics. If you go to their website, uh, they will have. Uh, you know, inflation rate for the South, inflation rate for New York City, and like they they they'll break it out by some regions. And, and uh, so, if you're living in Atlanta, your inflation rate's ten percent. Okay. If you're living in New York City, it's six or five or something. I can't remember the particulars. Okay. But it, it, it's lower in New York City than it is in Texas and the South. Uh, and, and probably the byproduct, probably the driver of that is people drive longer distances in those places. Okay. So, uh, so if you got a long commute, your personal inflation rate is much higher than my inflation rate because I work from home. So, mm. so yeah, it, inflation really is probably the most personal data point, economic data point there is. But it's 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 weird because they say 8% but I go to the grocery store and I'm paying 30% more for for goods um used cars I I could sell my vehicle that I've paid you know it's been paid for for 3 years for maybe 1000 or 2000 less than what I bought it for so there and, are there are some components and you mentioned the uh, not just used but uh, new cars that are really skewing the overall number so Peter's absolutely right you take a look at the components, it's regional, and then mm-hmm. it's by uh, different um, you know, drivers of inflation, and some of it's uh, screwy, and then there's also some of the stats are calculated differently today than they were back in the 70s and 80s, which is typically the compare. Oh, we're back to right. Jimmy Carter and the 20% interest right. rates. Reagan times, right. But you, you can't really do an apples to apples because they compute, computed some of these components differently back then than they do today. Yeah. So, so what, what to think about it is, is, is uh, CPI is a value. So they have a basket of goods, that you're mm-hmm. gonna, goods and services you're going to purchase, and they're going to compare the uh, they're going to change the basket over time because c- consumption patterns change. Like in the 70s, we weren't buying laptops uh, or iPhones or what have you, right? Yeah. So 
So, uh, so they change the, the makeup of the basket over time, and then you make a comparison. Some people will say, hey, look, that's just not very fair. Inflation rate is really 20% or something. No, the, the, the guys at uh, the, these government uh, uh, economists, they are doing serious work, and they do it well. So, so it's really an overplayed narrative because it's around 7 8%, but there are always going to be yes. some exceptions that are higher. Now, here's the other thing that people fail to realize. This has already been priced in the market, right? Mm -hmm. They've been talking about multiple rate hikes, and, and how many have actually transpired? One, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> so even if the Fed raises it by 50 basis points or more, do if, you see a market sell-off? If, if it is the consensus, there shouldn't be really uh, that much of a movement because it's already buried in the stock prices. And the other thing, whether it's interest rates or inflation, you don't necessarily have to see, particularly for inflation, for it to uh, drop off significantly. Mm -hmm. You just need to see it peak and then start to decelerate. Mm -hmm. So Peter's absolutely right. Last month, 8.5%. What happens if next month it's 8.1%? People say, wow, it's an improvement. It's an improvement, So right. it doesn't have to go back to 2% where it was uh, before all this mess. We just need to see a deceleration. And I think if we see even a slight deceleration, uh, what I call like less bad, then we could have a really nice rally in the markets. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, that's the thing. That's the that's the tricky part. When when is it actually going to peak, or is it going to keep climbing? Hmm. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Nobody yeah. really can. Well, no. I, I think on the inflation yeah. number, we're fairly close. Can't pinpoint it, but I think we're fairly close yeah. to the, the peak. You don't see it going to officially nine or ten percent. I don't think so. My view. And, okay. Yeah. So if he, if if the Fed does raise it, it's already factored in. You know, another interesting thing, and, and you all discussed this yesterday, bonds and treasuries are still not attractive enough. And hasn't that also kept the market going up? Because what are people going to invest in? Yeah. They're not going to go to cash, right? Yeah. Um, so, so fixed income as a, an yes. asset class. It, it's tricky. Uh, so everybody's got a view on, on what they call the market neutral rate of interest. Okay. So, so I, I teach at Anderson University. So, what I teach my students uh, is the official line in interest rates. That there's a, this market neutral rate of interest. On top of it, you add an inflation premium. On top of that, you add a maturity risk premium. That is your nominal yield. Well, um, research from the New York Fed suggests that that term premium is basically flat. And uh, the way the way markets work, it's, it's very rare that it's only about one in four years where you're actually at that ideal rate of interest. So the, the markets can be lower, yields can be lower for a lot longer than uh, a lot of pundits say. Uh, so, you know, some people well, will... Well, that's my point. It, it's probably going to be a while before bond rates and corporate bonds and the tre treasuries are going to be attractive, correct? Because if you're getting 2.7% or, you know, somewhere thereabouts on yeah. your money with inflation and taxation, yeah. you're kind of, you're operating at a negative space, are you not? Well, the way I look at it is, so typically when they talk about rates, they quite often quote the yield on the U.S. 10-year treasury. Okay. Some people even call that America's risk-free rate. So right now it's in the high twos, as you just mentioned. If you get some stability or less bad news or a slight deceleration in inflation and the yield on that instrument is over 3%, I think we actually get 
fairly close to turning the toggle switch to where bonds become more attractive than they've been in a long, long time. If we can uh, go above three, um, I might be interested in taking some money out of equities and putting okay. it in bonds. What about corporate bonds? You're speaking just about the treasuries right now. Yeah, so on t with corporate bonds, you're adding a, a credit uh, spread. You know, the risk that the, the, the company goes bankrupt or yep. insolvent or what have you. So you're making more on a corporate bond in general than you are. But one of the things we're seeing is the spreads on investment-grade corporates are very, very tight. Uh, we think that there is opportunity in the high-yield space because in high-yield, about 20% of the high-yield market is actually these junior energy companies who have re repaired their balance sheets as much as they can. And when you say high-yield, what, what kind of rates are you talking about? Oh, gosh. Um, I think the spread on triple Cs, which is real high yield. <laughs> dicey. Uh, we call that they, dicey. Wait a minute. <laughs> they make triple Cs? <laughs> I, I thought they drew the line at triple B. Yeah. Well, well, so, so, so if you're looking at S&P credit ratings, they go from triple A, double okay. A, single A, triple B, below triple B ratings, any, it, it, that's, that is non-investment grade or Chunk. It's okay. So we're getting into the milk and rating system, right? <laughs> the mil exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But, but here you have an environment where you know twenty percent of the high yield market mm -hmm. is energy companies, and they've repaired their balance sheets by and large, and of course oil prices are through the roof. Right. This is like their 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 this is like their golden age. So that's. That's a good point, and I want to ask you. I'm not going to ask you to pick your favorite stocks. I always, I hate that. Hey, what's your favorite? But there are some sectors that, through this inflationary market and yeah. the way the economy is, that people should do well with. And, and yeah. what do you think they are? I think you mentioned utilities, uh, financial services. Uh, tell the, the audience what sectors you think will, will be in good play for the next, I don't know, one to two to three years. Oh, uh, um, boy, you, you know, I'm going to uh, take a steal a page out of your book. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually going to say tech is probably a good place to be. Oh, boy. So, He's trying to steal your thunder, my friend. <laughs> Are you trying to flip the switch? <laughs> yeah, you, be, you better yeah. not have an investment horizon of tomorrow. <laughs> no, no. Look, look this yeah. is if you're investing in stocks, you, you have a long-term investment horizon, right? Right. So, but people have a different... Perception yes. of what long term is, yes. and that's right. what I try to emphasize with tech because they always tell you, "Oh yeah, I'm long term oriented." Then right. If the stock takes a spill tomorrow, they'll, they'll call you. Yeah. Long term yeah, meaning five to ten year <laughs> outlook, correct? Yeah, or yeah, I think uh, the outlook for tech, if you really do have, you don't even need ten. If you even have a, a couple year uh, perspective, which I think is proper, you can do extraordinarily well with a couple of these names that have been decimated in the last. Mm -hmm. Essentially, the tech correction started. The week before Thanksgiving, so is so even, they've already made their Putin. Yeah, pre yeah, Putin. Let's yeah. let's talk about that uh, raving lunatic as well. How that's you know thrown into the mix. But since Thanksgiving, how 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 far down has the tech sector been, Paul? Because I know that you you started moving your money out of that yeah. back then. So in the last quarter, what? So we've been in a bear market or the verge of a bear market, but mm -hmm. within that. You know, beyond the fangs, beyond the uh, large cap names that dominate the NASDAQ 100, there are some more speculative companies that in that horizon have been down 60, 70, 
80%. And these are mostly these companies that uh, don't make money, but they got people excited during uh, COVID, like a, a Peloton, right, with all their you know new subscribers and bikes sold. But uh, those kind of companies where they don't have the earnings and the cash flow, and they've been you know driven up by this COVID driver, and then when that is taken away, you know those are the ones that have been crushed because they don't really have a uh, plan B. Sixty percent, geez. I guess if you're going to own it for the next five years. It's on sale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there are some that uh, are you know, way down, Danny, yeah. way down. You know, I think the problem is most people have lost their sense of reality because we've had arguably the biggest bear mark, uh, bull market for so many years. Look what happened in COVID in 2020. It got corrected. It went, what, 30%? And, and a few weeks later, it snapped back. And so, yeah. so people are now like, oh, yeah, that's going to happen again if we have a correction. I'm going to do nothing and it's going to come back where you two have both been rebalancing. Yeah. You're still bull, you're still bullish. You're not bearish. But you're kinda... I, I, I had been uh, heavy cash and, you know, in the bunker with the dividend portfolio vis-a-vis -vis the tech portfolio. But now I'm starting to put, you know, recent work uh, weeks uh, money back to work. I think yeah. you also said that you were surprised that European stocks have not performed well in the last six months. When yeah. I think six months ago, you thought they were a good play, they right? They were, yeah. That, that, as a matter what fact, changed? Well, Putin. <laughs> yeah, Putin, yeah. So, uh, uh, so uh, when the year got started, uh, uh, European and international stocks were actually outperforming, U U.S. stocks. And then, uh, and then Putin invaded uh, Ukraine, and, um, and that changed. It seemed like the closer you were to the conflict, the worse your stock did. And the example I gave at the conference was mm -hmm. of uh, Deutsche Post. So this is a German postal system. The company was established in 1490. <laughs> <laughs> so they got the parcel and post system. That's about 20% of their business. 80% is DHL. So they run the world's third largest logistics network. FedEx is a great comparison. So FedEx, their return on equity uh, is, is just a measure of profitability over you know their cost of equity is is double that of FedEx and it's trending higher and, and the stock has typically followed that up FedEx flatlining mm. and here we have Putin invading Russia and the stock sells off twice that of FedEx so yeah Deutsche Post in my opinion, great value. I think he's picking. Uh, <laughs> I think he's answering he's your question. Answer, I, and I didn't even answer him. Hey, what's your best stock pick? <laughs> yeah, he, that I had that on his notes to talk about, whether you asked it or not. Listen, every time you mention Micron, it ticks up, right? Dan even bought. So he, he asked you after yeah. he bought some more Micron. I hope we don't which, go to jail. <laughs> you're still right inside of the Crowbar Hotel. Yeah. I, I mean, semiconductors. I mean. You told me uh, six months ago that there was such a shortage of the problem with automobiles is they couldn't get the parts yeah. to push it out there. The chips, and yeah. that the chips, right? So that caused the prices to spike up on used vehicles because people couldn't buy. But right. right, that's flattened out, right? Autos have 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 gotten less volatile in the pricing for the new vehicles. You know, Denso uh, is also in the international portfolio. They, okay. re they reported yesterday, and they beat on earnings substantially. Earnings were up 120% uh, on, I think, 20% revenue growth. And uh, so revenue growth beat estimates, and their uh, guidance for future revenue growth was ahead of estimates. Okay. So, 
Yes, uh, it seems like the supply chain is, it, it, it's not fully repaired, Yeah. but things are better than analysts had. And that'll be a pretty good, you were asking about the economy, yeah. Danny, that'll be a pretty good tell, right? We're playing poker, we're looking for tells. Mm -hmm. When you start to see uh, Ford and GM and you know their brethren come back and say, oh, you know, we're now been able to get some semiconductors and other components so yeah. we can actually build these cars. Because that you know that's a uh, perfect example of how semiconductors over time is have just proliferated you know everything in the industrial space. It used to be in the old days the only thing you followed in the semiconductor industry was PC sales. Now yeah. you know semiconductors are everywhere, including all around here. Phones. I, I mean, it, it, just, in your fridge, in my refrigerator, <laughs> right? So We're, that that'll that'll be interesting. But you know, I follow semiconductors closely. We're seeing some improvement on the uh, margin, but I expect that part at least of the supply chain to be clogged for some time, you know, well into next year, unfortunately. And next year is when some are guessing that we could hit a recession, but what was GDP for last year? Oh, gosh. Um, was it 5.4%? Yeah, it's 5 or 6, yeah. Yeah. Historically, that's amazing. Yeah, but, <laughs> five. but, but it's a comparative number, right? You know, uh, compared to the year before. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's, it's always. And it, and it will not be that high this year. Yeah, but it won't be. You know, recession means it's negative down. Yeah, so which you find it really hard to believe that that will, at least for this year. Yeah. So, so there's there, the Institute of Supply Management. They survey, you know, major U.S. corporations on their manufacturing intents. They figure the the guy that's got his trigger on the you know uh, manufacturing supply has the best idea of what's happening. So you do that enough and over a big enough sample, you got an idea of whether the economy is expanding or contracting. So they, they have this thing called the IX, ISM Purchasing Managers Index. And, and, and it, the dividing line between expansion and contraction is 50. So anything above 50 is expansion. Anything below is contraction. The higher above 50, the more robust the growth, right? So we were in the 60s, which is very, very high for that uh, data series. You two did say growth is not what it used to be five to ten years ago. But now now, now the ISM has declined into the 50s, but it's still 57. So uh, the trend is towards uh, slower economic growth, Okay, but it's still fairly robust. That's what the data is telling us. Mm -hmm. Well, again... I think, Paul, you thought uh, on the radio show and some of the shows we did, you, you did see high single-digit returns on equities last year. It happened. So maybe this year we could be down because that Ukraine situation, if it doesn't resolve itself. And, and we've dug a very big hole. And when you're in the hole, you have to have monster returns just to get back to even. Yeah, that's the problem. So isn't it, it? it may be tough to have a positive return for the full year, but I would still expect some kind of nice rally in the second half. If what do you think would propel the rally? That the rates have been normalized, inflation's in check. What do you think could spark a possible so, rally? So the uh, rates forecast. You know, the Fed has been pretty transparent. They're going to be raising rates at least to some amplitude at every meeting well into 2023. So that's out there. Okay. Uh, so what I look for is what I said before, the peak inflation number, because at the end of the day is the backbone that drives the other stuff. And if we see peak inflation, I'm not going to worry if that inflation goes from eight and a half back down to two, because that will take forever. But if we start to see a couple of sequential months, which means in a row, mm -hmm. of improvement of a lesser uh, growth rate, then that's my catalyst. Yeah. Now, hence... 
you two have a momentum portfolio, which yep. are, is that a contrarian play in the market? No, Can you describe really. what it is that the momentum portfolio does for investors? Yeah, it, it's it's a quant portfolio. So it basically takes asset classes and it, it calculates the current, takes the current price, uh, measures it relative to uh, the average price over the prior 10 months. Okay. And if it's higher, it qualifies for inclusion. If it's if it's lower, it's thought that the asset class is trending lower. So so it's trend following rather than contrarian. It's, it's trend following. Okay, yeah. and, and they're minor adjustments. It's kind of like you don't take the whole uh, aspirin bottle. You take one aspirin in your adjustments. Correct. Well, I think you showed me uh, where you did like a one percent adjustment on a monthly or quarterly basis. Well, well it has to it has to exceed the ten month moving average by more than one percent. So, okay. So we have had some periods where it's done like wholesale changes where it's okay. sold out of everything and gone to cash. And, and so hmm. so the advantage of it is it doesn't it doesn't matter what Paul's opinion is or my opinion or anybody's opinion. This is all driven by market prices. Uh, so right now, uh, the model is in uh, U.S. value, commodities, gold, 44% cash. <laughs> so it's 44 because you're waiting for deals that, that come up, right? Well, I well mean, we're waiting for market signals to yeah. say, yes, it's safe to invest in real estate. It's safe to invest in international stocks and whatnot. And we're just not getting those signals in that, in that model right now. I would say, though, for those stock investors that are in our other models, mm -hmm. you know, right now, uh, stocks are selling for less than intrinsic value, at least our estimates of intrinsic value. You did say that based on last year, mm -hmm. even though we've had some sell-off, that now they're more there's a they're more valuable to to coin a phrase. Uh, they're on sale. They're on sale. They're yeah, on yeah. sale. So now it's a question of well, when do I, you know, stick my toe in the water and just you know buy a little bit of it and see what happens? You know, Is like that if you want a cheap stock, now's a good time to buy. Okay. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> so once again, the sectors that should do well, no matter what, are the utilities, right? Oil, oil is still going to do well, probably, mm -hmm. right? Because, uh, my God, do you remember when Exxon sold off and was around $30 a share? Yeah. What, what is it now? Oh, gosh, I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> cite you the number. Yeah. But, but the interesting thing about oil, uh, and, and Paul and I have it in mm -hmm. the, that dividend uh, portfolio. We, okay. We've got, some, uh, we've got a few uh, energy names there. But the, the interesting thing is, so, so what, what oil can be a head fake. So prices spike. So there's a futures curve. So there's a front month futures contract. That's what we see as a price of oil. And then there's like three months out and so forth. And so the, the, the futures curve tends to slope upward. And, um, you know, because if, if you're selling the oil and, and you're only going to deliver it in a year, uh, I don't want your oil right now delivered to me in a year. You have to custody, you have to uh, store that oil somewhere, and there's a cost to you. So right. it's usually upward sloping. But it, it, in, in uncertain times, that relationship flips. So the curve is actually downward sloping or in backwardation, as they call it in the industry. And because... You'd rather I'd rather have the oil now, so I'll pay a premium to get it now. Well, in past times, in past times, what's happened is people have plowed into energy stocks, and only to see the curve flip. You know, so so if if the oil price of oil is at sixty dollars a year from now, well, that futures price is maybe not a bad indicator. So so they see oil, they buy the stock when the oil's at one twenty. 
only see the price of oil crash along with the stock price. Now, what we're seeing now, though, is we did see that relationship earlier in March. There was about $20 difference between the front month contract and, the, and three months out. Now it's like three bucks. Yeah. Hmm. So that futures curve is really flattened out. So the risk in buying into energy stocks has really come down a lot, in my opinion. Again, they're, they're it, attractive now. And another thing that's interesting that came up in the conference yesterday is there is no question that uh, they're on a flyer right now. And part of it is, you know, based on what's going on in the Ukraine. But, you know, there's 11 sectors that make up the S&P 500 or make up the economy, energy being one sector. And yes, energy has been the best performer this year. But for many years prior to this year, it was among the worst. And so it's not that these stocks were reasonably priced and then they got too expensive. Yes, they've had a big run, but they were in the dumper for so long that they're still not necessarily overvalued. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why you stick in them. You say, wow, you know, are you guys getting in in the ninth inning? <laughs> no, we actually think there's more upside. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, you started this dividend model, which is which is great because you, you typically buy companies that are already yielding 3%, but have maybe a, a 5 to 8% upside, right? It so, so, yeah. so for those who don't want to... Uh, until tech comes roaring back, or or <laughs> bonds can, become more attractive, or bonds right, become right. more attractive, it's hard to find yield. Very hard. So yeah. investors should do that. And, and folks, not all money managers are equal. Independent solutions—they're actually buying positions. I I don't want to I don't want to bash anybody, but there are some companies, for lack of other words, that are actually buying funds and putting a wrap fee on it. We're talking about individual equity positions. And that is a difference because mm-hmm. you cannot change a mutual fund or an ETF. If nor, the market nor could is... you ever talk to the portfolio manager if you wanted to. A- exactly right. So yeah. folks, for my clients, wouldn't it be nice to actually speak to the portfolio manager to come with a custom portfolio for you? You just can't get that. And sometimes bigger is not necessarily better. Not that you guys are small. You have a lot of great experience. You talk on the phone with clients. You're yeah. just not going to get that. And, and you know, it's not just about performance. It's about customization and having access, understanding mm-hmm. what clients want. And l- let's face it, I, I'm sure you, you two have never lost business because someone totally outperformed you or wasn't even close. Yeah. That, that's just not the business you're in. Yeah, there's there's definitely a service component. So when somebody brings us a, a portfolio, uh, a taxable portfolio in particular, mm-hmm. you know we're we're sensitive to the gains that are in there, and we'll work around trying to uh, create a, 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 a we'll customize yeah. our, our our portfolio for their situation. And then the private wealth group with the minimum there's a million dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Now you you can offer private deals where you can find some nice yielding uh, bonds for a company, and you know talk about that what what you're doing in a private wealth group that's different than the normal you know independent solution account. Sure. So the nice thing about our firm is even though we're not a big wirehouse, when I say wirehouse, I'm talking about the the Wall Street Goliaths, right? <laughs> exactly right. Uh, we do have uh, a full suite of products. Uh, including, you know, the opportunity, which we probably would recommend keep it a pretty skinny uh, slice of your asset allocation pie, but to do some of those deals. But again, as an alternative asset, it should be 
uh, unless you're the most aggressive investor, it should be a pretty small piece, but it's available to us. I, I don't find too many aggressive people minded these days. Yeah, yeah. I think there, a lot of them are looking for safety. They still need to make money because we talked about inflation. You need more than 2.7 or 3% on your money to sustain a, a successful retirement or a future retirement. So people are looking for safer alternatives. You're, you said you were at 44% cash. Mm -hmm. that's, well, that's the model's dictating that. That's not yeah. me. Okay, yeah. So it, yeah. until things change in the, in the market where you feel, you know what, I, I like this equity right now. Yeah. I'm going to oh, yeah. allocate more into it. Yeah. So, so, so just to be clear, this is based on a paper that was published in an academic journal. Okay. So, so we've just basically followed the recipe. It's got a great history of performance dating back to the 1970s. So, so uh, we're taking something that's got a good track record and uh, replicating it. So far, it's going great. But for anybody that's you know trying to time the market, that's that's pretty tough to do. Yeah. Timing know. doesn't work. However, they should really consider rebalancing for the unknown that may happen. Talk about. In your opinion, what could really hurt us going forward? Oof. You know, let's say the next, we don't have crystal balls, that whole stupid saying that we all use, but let's say going into the summer and yeah. fall, into next year, what could affect the market where investors should be, you know, looking for? <laughs> well, okay, so the, there, there's two big unknowns. You can't quantify them. Uh, one is COVID, because we're... We've gone from you know, COVID. What's that? What's he talking about? <laughs> well, it's we, not safe. <laughs> well, 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 the Delta strain was something like four times more infectious than the prior strain, and now we're onto this B two strain, which is supposed to be something like ten times more infectious than, than Delta, and so forth. And and there is all these sub variants. Uh, it, so the, the, if the, that, if if the lockdowns happen again, that's going to affect things. Well, you're saying. well, see, it's affecting things already because they've mm -hmm. had all these massive lockdowns in China. Um, you know, they're, these are Shenzhen and Guangzhou and all these major cities. These are cities that are, you know, five, ten times larger than New York City. Yeah. Uh, and Is it true they locked down like 20 million people in the one city because, and they only had, I think, 50 cases? But it was that. I read one, the, I read a story the other day, not a story because yeah. I read it, it's factual. Mm -hmm. I forgot the name of the uh, town. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, Shanghai, which I think is well over 20 million people. It was a city of several million people, two to three million. Mm -hmm. And they had two cases. Two ca and they shut down the whole city. Wow. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah well. That, uh, that, that's, that's what they call the zero COVID policy. <laughs> Dude, that, that is zero COVID right there. So, <laughs> look, if, if that happens, that's going to affect, obviously, the market because yeah. it'll get people to yeah. stay at home, not spend money, maybe well, not even go to work. as Peter said before, it impacts the supply chain, which impacts U.S. companies and U.S. consumers because a lot of that supply chain emanates in China. Yeah, and, and, and prior to COVID, uh, where, does, where was growth coming from Ford and GM and so forth? That was China. Uh, yeah. and the other thing I think that's an unknown is is uh, Putin's war in Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea what's going on there. Uh, apparently, Putin is reportedly in ill health. Uh, so yeah, people people might be spiking his drink right about now because I don't think. Yeah. You know what's so interesting, guys? And again, I'm just a layman compared to you. But this market has kept, even though we had a sell-off, mm -hmm. when you look at the war, the supply chain issues, COVID, the list goes on and on, aren't you a little bit surprised that it's, it's, 
it's fairly been stable with all the things that are have, have been going on in just the last six to 12 months? Well, well I, I think part of it tells you how irrelevant Russia has become, aside from its military. Okay. You know, way back in the 90s when, you yeah. know... Uh, the USSR. Yeah, it, well... They, <laughs> Is that a Beatles song? <laughs> <laughs> Let me think. <laughs> uh, but they, they used to talk about, you know, how do we invest in emerging markets? Well, there's the BRICS. Brazil, Russia, India, China. Nobody talks about Russia anymore in terms of emerging market investments. They, they really got less behind. They're, Is their economy that bad? Uh, well, I mean, that's part of the problem, right? Yeah. When, when, you're, when you're doing a crappy job of running your economy, mm. what, what are, what's plan B? Well, let's, so sometimes these uh, dictators, they look to, you know, foreign conquest as a way to try to, you know, you know rally people around the flag and, and, and grow their wealth if they're successful. And so far, Putin hasn't been very successful. And so many companies have uh, pulled out, you know, multinationals that mm -hmm. had actually reasonable operations in Russia. And uh, even if Putin stops with the Ukraine and doesn't go on to, you know, reassembling the, you know, the Soviet Union, I don't think these companies are coming back. So he's really uh, putting a massive dent, not just today, but in the future yeah. with these economies. Because not, they're not going to turn around and say, oh, yeah, we're coming back. Right, right. He's, he's really so, making them irrelevant. So, so a irrelevant economy becomes even more so. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I understand that uh, they were threatening to take over the McDonald's locations there. You know, <laughs> so, yes, or... COVID, that's a big factor. This war, I'm always fearful that, because he's so unpredictable, yeah. that we get involved because he does something to a NATO country. Right. Then and then we out. have to step in. And let yeah. me tell you guys, if that happens, whoo, yeah, that's people are going to be running for cover. Yeah. And, then, and my issue is, and it's related to Peter's, because if Peter talks about COVID and the supply chain, the mm -hmm. supply chain clog causes the inflation. My biggest worry is actually not that. My biggest worry is I'm wrong about uh, this inflation peaking. What happens if I'm wrong? And, eight, five, and it keeps eight, going. 8.5% yeah. goes to 8.9, goes to 9.2. Mm -hmm. Then the Meeks thesis is wrong. I'm hoping not. <laughs> well, I think so. If, if you're wrong, should I call Joe Kernan to tell him that <laughs> yeah. uh, he can get you again? Yes, you know, because yeah. he loves to bust your he, stone he, on CNBC. He does. He does. Um, yeah. Well, okay. So, when is the next time that, that they're going to talk about that where we can see whether we're going in the wrong direction? When's the next time they uh, report inflation? Oh, I think. Okay, so we get the uh, uh, non-farm payrolls report next week. Okay. The Fed reports next week. That's a big uh, to do. But we also got non-farm payrolls. It's either a week following non-farm payrolls or the week after that. Okay. Uh, I, uh, so roughly the middle of May. And there are two numbers. Peter earlier mentioned the CPI, which is the Consumer Price Index. That's you and me. Okay. But there's also the PPI, Producer Price Index. Think of that as uh, wholesale price inflation or businesses buying businesses. Like business A has to buy supplies from business B. So there's actually two numbers that are reported that I look at. The okay. CPI is the, the one that you know most people talk about. There's also the PPI. So there's you know, there are two numbers and they both are released monthly. Yeah. There there is some good news on that front, right? So yeah, inflation. Yeah, let's talk about we, we got the gloom out of the way. <laughs> let's talk about hey, if the following things happen, Paul thinks we could have a rally, maybe by what, the the last quarter or so? Yeah. Yeah. 
And so what needs to happen for that, you know, to, to, to transpire, that we have a rally, people get more confidence in their stepping in and buying more? Well, I, I was going to say on inflation, uh, the, there's, there's a, the bond market actually has uh, an inflation indicator. So we, we issue uh, treasury bonds and we also issue treasury inflation protected securities or TIPS. Mm -hmm. And TIPS are re real returns and bonds are nominal returns. So if you net the yields between the two, you get the market's estimate of what inflation is. And if you look at uh, five-year and 10-year TIPS break-evens or the implied inflation rate, okay, they're trending lower. So, so I think the five-year TIPS is around 3% mm -hmm. versus our 8.5%. So that means the market is saying that over the next five years, inflation is going to average 3%. So that is... A, well, I'd that, like to see 3% inflation. He's <laughs> <laughs> dancing in the streets. <laughs> well, look, they can't print any more money. Yeah. Well, so they actually, they, they can. But, uh, <laughs> That's they, part of the problem. I stand corrected, yeah. yes. Yeah. You really think they would try and print some more money? <laughs> I mean, is that throwing, like, fuel into the fire to see what happens? Yeah. The Fed is, you know, part of their support program during COVID is uh, not only did they lower interest rates, that's mm -hmm. obvious, but they also bought bonds. And so the Fed, which is our central bank, you know, actually increased the size of the balance sheet from okay. about $4 trillion to $9 trillion. And uh, as they raise rates, they're also going to let these bonds roll off. And so that's also uh, another, what we call, tightening of monetary policy. So yes, the big $9 trillion balance sheet hopefully heads back to the $4 trillion as it was before the crisis. They throw trillions like it's nothing. You know, yeah. if you go back a trillion seconds, you're not in the times of Jesus Christ. You're at 30,000 B.C. <laughs> and they throw, away, they throw trillions around like it's, you know, nickels and dimes in yeah. our pocket. Yeah, yeah. so, so, so that, that's one thing that makes this tightening cycle, the Fed tightening cycle unique. They're going to they're gonna both raise interest rates and they're going to reduce their balance sheet. So, as Paul said, there's two ways they can do that. They... When, when, a, when a bond comes to maturity on the Fed's balance sheet, mm -hmm. it, it disappears. And okay. And the Fed's balance sheet lowers. So they, that's called rolling off. Yeah. So they're just let not assets, reinvesting it. They'll let, yeah. let, let assets roll off and the balance sheet decline. The other thing they're going to do is they're going to actually go out and actually sell assets into the market. We've had one example in recent history where the Fed has let its balance sheet decline had basically no impact on interest rates, and that was in 2018-2019. So they let the balance sheet shrink by $750 billion. So I know we're talking trillions. $750 billion, still a lot of still money. Still a hunk of change. <laughs> yeah, I'd say you could buy a few condos with that kind yeah. of money. Unless um, you're Elon Musk, and then that's nothing to him. <laughs> yeah. yes. Hey, they say that he lives at a friend's house. He's this guy, he just bought Twitter, and he, he doesn't have a house, apparently. Now, here's another factor, too. <laughs> Perception is everything, isn't it, guys? So they're all watching, hey, who's gonna, what's going to happen in November politically? Yeah. Now, yeah. how much legislation have they really passed in the last year? Oh, I know they stopped, Joe Manchin zero. stopped that yeah. big bill, which actually, if that would have passed, we might be seeing inflation at like 12 14%. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if they, any thoughts if, uh, I don't know. What if the Republicans take the majority? You think that's going to affect the market, the or at least the perception of the market? Well, I, I thought that the greatest risk is, uh, regardless of your political bent, is when Biden came in. Remember, they thought at the top of his agenda was the tax increase. Yes, right to go at least halfway exactly. back from where Trump had lowered the mm -hmm. taxes. 
Uh, but of course, other stuff came up on the agenda that was yeah. postponed. And now if the uh, Republicans you know, take control of the House of Representatives and the Senate, that is pushed back even further. And so that's probably a good thing. Absolutely. Right? Corporate tax rates will right. stay where they are. The current tax rates will stay where they are. That's my whole point. However, if the Geesh, I, folks, I don't get political because it doesn't interest me that much. But, geez, if if the Democrats win, which they're not looking uh, like that's going to happen in November, if they get the majority, it makes you wonder, well, what are they going to pass? Like you say, they didn't pass the tax bill. I know that the... Uh, I just don't think there's an appetite for it right now, so... I, I, think it, I think it's a risk that's been removed, almost regardless of what happens, at least removed for a while. It almost sounds like uh, it'll be a neutral zone because people are probably still f- afraid of jawboning certain things in the economy, yeah. which will make people upset. Yeah. <laughs> and then the uh, rhetoric will just be ramped up to the ceilings. I know, I know that they say, that's why I like talking to Paul and you. Oh, Biden closed the pipeline. That's why gas is where it is. And Paul's like, no, that's not why gas is the way it is. There are other factors. However, perception from uh, the consumers is that. I think their perception as well, if Republicans come in, they'll keep tax rates where they are, prosperity, happy days are here again. Where I wish it was that easy, dude. Exactly, right. (laughs) You and I talk about this, and and I'm giving you the perspective from the clients that I speak to, and that's that's what they're thinking. So, all in all, we're not in as bad a shape as people may think. Well, so so it's, you know, Paul brings up a good point. It's worth noting that in front of midterms, uh, traditionally, uh, equity markets can be soft. So, so it's it's not so. Yeah, it's it's unusual times with the war in Ukraine and COVID and everything else. But aside from that, it, in midterm election years, uh, you know, political uncertainty tends to breed soft markets. Yeah. So, you know, maybe and it isn't surprising for the uh, party that's uh, out of office, you know, out of the, uh, sure. the White House mm-hmm. to have gains. That's the and of course, you know, Biden has a pretty low uh, approval rating, so. I would be surprised if the Republicans didn't come back in and win uh, both chambers. I'd be surprised. Uh, right. And let me tell you, I I don't know why anybody would want that job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some, some, some people have a theory, well, you start off making a couple hundred grand a year, and then you buy a house in Martha's Vineyard. That's why they do it. No, nope, <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> so um, this is great. I hope... Uh, Folks, I'm, I'm a bad marketer. If you'd like to know more, please call my office, 561-537-5897, 561-537-5897. You know what's so interesting? You two have been pretty spot on. We've been kind of, we had the radio show, and it seems like every quarter or every couple of months we, we reconvene. And what I like about your approach is you don't make stupid, bold predictions. You're not trying to make the headlines. And you're... You safeguard money more than I see certain fund managers that tend, tend to be frivolous or let's say, let's say more aggressive than they should be. You're, you're taking the last six months to, uh, you, you, you still believe in equities. Mm-hmm. Bonds are not attractive. However, you are proceeding cautiously as well mm-hmm. as investors should do that because we just don't know. And I think when that sell-off happened with COVID and it bounced back, they said, oh, well, that's reality. <laughs> it's always going to happen. If we do have a sell-off, it's probably going to take more than a few months to come back, right? 
Yeah, I mean, look, the Marcus are mercurial. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, I... I I'm with Paul. I, I don't think the markets are going to come back within the next six months or so. But, you know, for people that have a long-term investment yes. program, yeah. the idea is to buy low, mm-hmm. sell high. This is your opportunity to buy low. Yeah. And then the other thing that's important to know is no matter how savvy you are, you're never going to pinpoint time it, right? Right. So, it never happens. Uh, and Peter had a great slide uh, yesterday in his presentation that you know, sometimes bull markets, when stocks go up, can mm-hmm. last a long time and they can have, over the years, you know, tremendous percentage increase. The problem is, if you're in the bunker too long and you miss even a, a little bit of uh, a couple of trading days in that uh, huge cycle, you're going to miss a lot of returns. So at some point, you have to have a long-term perspective and you do have to get back in the market because you don't want to miss that recovery, man. Because the recovery can be pretty powerful, and yeah. it can be really truncated in a very brief period of time. Yeah, Warren Buffett is not a day trader, right, guys? No. <laughs> no, 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 he isn't. The buy and hold. Uh, look, if you like a company for the next five to ten years, why should you emotionally try and time it and make decisions along the way? Yeah. You That's try to do the best, particularly in my world, tech. You know, I, I try to be a little bit more cagey because you know, I don't want to be the guy that buys something before it goes down 30 because in, in, in tech, something can go down 30% tomorrow. So how, but still at some point, you got to... How, how jacked up would you be if tech starts making a run in, let's say, the, the last quarter of this year? Oh, I, I think it's feasible. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I would be jacked up. <laughs> you would be, wouldn't you? I, would, uh, I like being popular rather than hated. <laughs> <laughs> like but, anybody. <laughs> but, Paul, you, when you're on seat, you're talking about your dividend model, and you talk – I know that's what you're known for. Well, I like to have a plan B because, you know, <laughs> I, I managed a, a lot of mon- tech money. Yeah. The internet bubble popped. Okay. And I still have the lashes on my back from that experience. <laughs> and so, yeah, I've always said, yes, i got to have uh, later in my career. Yeah, you were, I, you were more Wherever I once. go, whatever I do for a living, <laughs> if I'm still in the business, i got to have a plan B. And I yeah. work uh, with Peter closely on the All plan right. B. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. We're going to reconvene. Uh, again, the, the office line is 561-537-5897. We need to have a roadshow in Florida, okay? I know you're in South Carolina, but nice. you, you like the office, right? I, I'd be There's happy plenty. to do that. Let, let's do some music, some entertainment. <laughs> Let people know that they could have independent solutions. You guys are really a dialed-in machine. And uh, one one last thing that I forgot to say because I, I, I think it's funny. You have rock stars on your team, all right? You never disagree on market forecasts with each other when you have your meetings, do you? Uh, I mean, kind of all the time. But. <laughs> you guys are probably the closest tied to the hip in your philosophy. of the. But, you know, you have David Mariaka, who, who's been stocked. But you have Dan Neiman, who's also mm-hmm. famous, running the Neiman Fund. And you have John Thur, who, he doesn't look it, but John's older than all of us, man. <laughs> he's, he's in best shape that I've ever seen him in his life. And he ran the largest fixed income portfolio. So when you all get together, I just want to chuckle that you have to disagree in some things, oh, right? Sure. Oh, yeah. of course. <laughs> Makes it interesting. So, folks, thanks for listening in. Make it a great weekend. Make it a great day. And you know what? If you have your health, your sanity, and a good family, count your blessings and turn off the TV. Stop watching so much news. <laughs> we'll see you on the next time on the Denny Artachi Show. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Denny. <Jenny. laughs>